0: Thanks, Mark. Just going to get my iPad set up so I can watch Netflix while I preach. (laughs) Um, Waiting, waiting, waiting. Hooray. We did it. Um, Thanks for... I feel like I'm on a talk show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I want to ask you a question before and as we begin. Uh, And that question was stated by the Black Eyed Peas... Uh, in the 2000s, and that is, what's wrong, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Uh, there are a number of answers to this question. What's wrong with the world could be um, terrorism, right? It could be uh, the fact that people take advantage of people that are easy to take advantage of. Uh, it could be that abuse still exists, that racism, that sexism still exists. And all these are good answers uh, to what's wrong with the world. My next question, though, is... Uh, do you want to change it? Do you want to change it? Uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount uh, gives us some really good ways to change the world. And what he's saying is that it starts with you, that it starts with your heart. Uh, so we're going to get straight into it. Verse 43 says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Sorry, you might need a magnifying glass there. Um, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is a piece of scripture that was taken from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. And uh, what has happened is the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious people, have taken this law and they've twisted it ever so slightly. Uh, Now, the Pharisees are people that are actually a lot like me. Uh, I'm a uni student. And the thing about uni students is... Often they know more about what they need to do to pass the course than they do about the actual course, right? So where I'm at uni, uh, you need 50%. You need a mark of 50% to pass any given course. And you can look at that in two ways. You can say, this is the 50% of the things that I have to do to pass, or here's half the things I don't have to do and still pass, right? Right? So I remember going into a Shakespeare exam uh, a couple of years ago, and I knew there there were three essays, or two essays, uh, each worth 25 marks each. And I knew that both of those combined, I needed a total mark of 14 to get 50% overall. So I could essentially write one good essay, put my pen down and walk out, if I wanted to, right? And this is what the Pharisees have slowly started to do. They... They don't ask, what do I need to do? They ask, what do I not need to do? So when you see love your neighbor, uh, the obvious question is, who counts? Who counts as your neighbor? But the question behind that question is, who doesn't count? So if I know who my neighbor is, then I know who my neighbor isn't, and I don't have to love them. Let's look at that verse, Leviticus chapter 19. I'm going to read it out. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, who is your neighbor? Verse 16, don't go around uh, spreading slander among your people. So, it would be your people. Your neighbor is your people. And then verse 17, don't hate a fellow Israelite. So, it's your people and the fellow Israelite. So it's the people that you are the same as, it's the people in your tribe, in your immediate sphere. The people the same race, the people the same creed, your fellow Israelite, your people. So if we should love our neighbour, and our neighbour is our people, then who doesn't count? The answer would be everyone that is not your people. So uh, the commandment says nothing about loving enemies in Leviticus 19, so I can hate my enemy, and in the immediate setting of Leviticus 19, your neighbor was your people, right? So love your people, it's just your people, which for the Jewish, the Jewish people at that time, the Israelites, ironically, it meant that the neighboring country, the Canaanites, did not count as their neighbor, So they could hate the Canaanites because they did abominable things and they were gross and uh, they they were sickening, but that's okay because they didn't count. For the people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter 5, the invading Roman soldiers were not Jewish people. They were not my people, therefore they did not count. Tax collectors... The traitors, the one that renounced themselves to align themselves with the Roman soldiers, they're not my people, therefore do not count. Uh, The thing about this is uh, a good rabbi like Jesus didn't just read the scripture that let him do the things he wanted to do. He in fact read all of scripture and he saw that 15 verses later in Leviticus chapter 33... Uh, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So who counts? Who's your neighbor? It's your people, but it's also the foreigner And this is what Jesus is saying. So your people count, but outsiders also count. The thing is, I don't want the outsider to count. And if you're anything like me, you don't want the outsider to count either. Because it is easy to love the people that love me. But it's much harder to love the people that I don't like. And who probably don't like me that much either. I don't want to have to love the people that screw me over. I don't want to have to love the murderer. I don't want to have to love the abuser. I don't want to have to love the people that seek to undermine me in everything that I do and say. But note that Jesus doesn't say, you have read in Scripture. He says, you have heard it was said and this is the danger of making omissions to scripture and commandments to suit what we wanted to say. In trying to work out the bare minimum to pass the course, the Pharisees have completely un- misunderstood what God is trying to say in Leviticus chapter 19. It was a divine teaching that quickly became a human teaching. And by human teaching, we learn how to live as a human, but by Jesus' teaching, we learn how to live like Jesus. So what does Jesus say? In response to this, verse 44, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus says, no, don't only love the people that love you, Don't only love the people that love you, but actually love the people that hate you and the people that (laughs) you probably don't like that much either. If we ask the same question of this verse as we do of Leviticus 19, we say, okay, Jesus, who counts? His response is, everyone counts. The Canaanites, the Roman soldiers, the tax collectors the people that we like and that like us and the people that we don't like and who probably don't like us that much either. John Stott put it this way, If they call down disaster upon our heads, expressing in words their wish for our downfall, we must retaliate by calling down heaven's blessing upon them, declaring in words that we wish them nothing but good. The people that seek to actively hurt me, the murderer, the abuser, Jesus' command here is not to return evil with evil, but to return evil with prayer. Okay, we're going to take a brief Hathaway and Tina Turner break to ask two questions. What is love and what's love got to do with it? Uh, love's a dumb word. Love's a dumb word, means too many things. I love pizza. When I say I love pizza, what I actually mean is I prefer pizza to other foods. I love pepperoni pizza. And what I mean when I say I love pepperoni pizza is that I prefer it to vegetarian pizza. I also love sport. I love watching sport, I love playing sport. But when I say I love sport, what I actually mean is that sport excites me. I get a little giddy feeling when I get to sit down and watch sport or I get to go out and play sport. So what I say, what I mean when I say I love sport is that I'm excited about sport. I also love people, mostly, some people, sometimes. Sometimes I love some people. What I mean when I say I love some people is that I have warm feelings towards some people. There's something about them that makes me tick, that makes me happy. Is Jesus asking for preference or excitement or warm feelings towards our enemies? Is Jesus asking you to generate warm feelings towards the people that actively seek to screw you over? The word that's translated in our Bibles to love is a Greek word called agape. And uh, reliable sources tell me that agape is a word that uh, was made up by the writers of the New Testament. And they made this word up so that they could actually describe the kind of love that Jesus had and that Jesus showed. If you want to do more on uh, agape, quick YouTube search... Agape, the third video, is by a group called The Bible Project, and that's really helpful. Love, agape love, the love that Jesus is asking from us, is an action word, a verb. By showing agape love, you choose to view someone in a certain way. You choose to see them the way Jesus saw them. More John Stott for you. To love them is ardently to desire that they will repent and believe and so be saved. So to love someone is not to prefer them or to be excited by them or to have warm feelings towards them, but rather to love someone is to see them the way that Jesus saw them, precious and beloved. If you're sitting here and listening at this point, thank you. I feel like I'm covering a lot of ground that has already been covered in a good church. Uh, My question is, if this teaching is so familiar, is it possible that its familiarity has led us to ignore it? Or perhaps its familiarity has led us to add or subtract to or from it to justify our actions? There's wisdom in feeling the gravity of things, uh, regardless of their familiarity. If a smoke alarm goes off in the middle of the night and I choose to ignore it because I've heard a smoke alarm go off before, is that wise? In the same way, if a passage of scripture has been read out and taught, is it wise to ignore it because you have heard it before? The Jews chose to ignore this commandment. He says Jesus, well Jesus calls him out on it and he says, if you love the people that love you, what are you doing more than the tax collector? What's the point? If you do what is easy, you'll get reward you'll get no reward. The way any skill is learned is by having it taught and then by practicing it. And if you want to feel good about yourself, compare yourself to people that you're better than, right? I'm really good at basketball, but my point of comparison is the youth that I play against on a Friday night. If I would compare myself against a kid, I would destroy them because it's not a fair comparison. Watch this clip, this is NBA player Dwight Howard Roy Hibbert, tonight we've seen Dwight Howard, who's posting up and dunking on little kids right now. That's not right, but still, that's Dwight being Dwight. I ask you. The difference he made in that Miami guys you, uh, you see the value inside. Isn't that beautiful? If I want to get better, I should not do what is easy. I should do what is difficult, what is hard. Uh, What Jesus is saying is that by comparing yourself to people that make you look better, you're actually no different to anyone. So if if the Jews are comparing themselves to the tax collectors, which is what Jesus says in this passage, what reward will you get? The people you think you are better than, you're actually no better than. So let me say that to myself, Jono. The people that you think you're better than, you are actually no better than. And now let me say it to you. The people that you think you're better than, you are actually no better than. Uh, Jesus is saying that the tax collectors, the people that the Jews thought they were better than, also love the people that love them. The pagans, the people that do all manner of atrocities, they love the people that love them and they hate the people that hate them. Not only are you just loving the people that love you, you are also just hating the people that hate you, which is really just retaliation. We we repay evil with evil. Stop. Put it this way, we administer justice ourselves so that no one gets the better of us. And then Plummer put it this way, to return evil for good is devilish, to return good for good is human, but to return good for evil is divine. The point I'm trying to make is this, if your comparison is other people, don't expect to be any more than the people you're comparing yourself to. Jesus is asking us not to do what we do and not to do what is easy, but rather to do what God does. And we see that in the second half of verse 45 and in verse 48. Uh, Jesus looks at two things. He looks at Scripture and he also looks at the weather. Uh, He says in Scripture, uh, He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He gets that from Psalm 145, which says this, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. What's interesting, the word all there can actually be translated to um, all. So when he says he has compassion on all he has made, he actually means compassion on all he has made. Isn't that interesting? That that's exactly, like what it says is exactly what it means. Uh, The other thing he looks at is the weather. Uh, He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what theologians call this is common grace, common grace, uh, which is the idea that God's grace or God's generosity is given to all. God's generosity is shared with everyone. God is generous and gracious to everyone. Everyone. And this drives a stake through the idea that good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people. It's just a really poor way to look at things. There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to proving that idea wrong. It's called Job. The good farmer and the bad farmer receive the same life-giving rain, because God is good to all. God loves the people that love him and he loves the people that hate him and who he probably doesn't like that much either. Jesus is asking us to love the people that love us and love the people that hate us and we probably don't like that much either. And he says to do that so that we might be like God and this sums up what we've been looking at in church over the past couple of months. It's called the six antitheses Uh, murder and anger, adultery and lust, marriage and divorce, oaths and truth, retaliation and submissiveness, and finally love and hate. And I read them and I go, gee, Jesus, what do you want me to be? Perfect? And then you get verse 48. Is Jesus asking us to be perfect? Perfect. I think you can be forgiven for thinking so, and there are a number of people that would think so. Um, And a bunch of you who have been here are like, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. You've all been to Sunday school. Well, a lot of you have been to Sunday school. Any good Sunday school student will say, we're not perfect, but Jesus makes us perfect. Which is right, but here it's wrong. Uh, Let me tell you why. Uh, The fact that before this, Jesus called us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and then afterwards teaches us to pray for forgiveness, suggests that we're probably not going to get it right. If we have to seek righteousness and ask for forgiveness for not being righteous, it suggests that we're probably not going to be perfect. And there are a lot of people who's, <clears throat> who are a lot smarter than me, whose coattails I'm riding when I say, I think he's asking us to love perfectly. And in loving perfectly, the rest will be Easy. And that love is the love that we spoke about before, that agape love, to choose to see someone the way Jesus sees them. And this verse sums up Jesus' whole teaching. If you can perfectly love, the rest will come. If you can love perfectly, you will not murder or be angry or cheat or lust or lie or retaliate or hate. So, what's wrong with the world? How do we change it? Jesus suggests that it starts with you. It starts with me. There are a number of people that have done this well and it's no coincidence that we remember them. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man that faced a whole bunch of hatred. One morning, someone drove a cross into the ground in his front yard and set it on fire. Also early that morning, Dr. King got up and he put on his best suit and he pulled the cross out of the ground and began to pray for them. He prayed that God would show favour and would bless the people that wanted to kill him. Ruby Bridges was six years old when compulsory integration of black and white students happened in New Orleans in the 1960s. And the school that Ruby enrolled in had never had black students in its history. By the time the school term was due to start, every other African-American student was removed because of the threat from white racists And then in protest of Ruby remaining enrolled, the white people pulled out too. Every morning to get to school, Ruby would have to be escorted by local police through an angry mob yelling violent threats and vile insults about what people would do to her or her family unless she removed herself from the school. What's more than that, the government flew in federal marshals because they couldn't trust the local police to keep her safe. One morning, Ruby is walking to school through an angry mob of people trying to kill her and she stops and says something. And when she was asked later what she said, her response was this, I slept in this morning and I forgot to pray for them. So when I remembered, I stopped and I prayed for them. She stopped and prayed for the people that wanted to kill her. One morning, a similar prayer was said. One morning, walking through an angry mob towards a cross in the ground, Jesus prayed for the people that wanted to kill him asking for their forgiveness. And if the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence the Lord's prayers, what pain, pride, prejudice or sloth could justify the silencing of mine, could justify the silencing of yours? Jesus is not asking us to do any more than he did for us. Don't leave today without praying for someone that hates you. Don't leave today without thanking Jesus that he did the very same to you. Ask him to help you to love the people that you would rather just be angry and bitter towards. Choose to see people the way God sees them. And choose to call down heaven's blessing upon them. I'm going to pray that we can do that now. Lord God, thank you that even while we were your enemies, you prayed for us and that you chose to love us. Father, I ask that you help us to do what you did for us to other people. Lord, I ask that uh, when we are angry at people or when people wrong us or mistreat us, Lord, that you might help us to see them the way that you see them.